The following program is an MLWRadio.com production. Today's episode of What Happened When Monday is brought to you by our friends at FullBrickHouse.com. If you're ready to own a house for only $500 down, FullBrickHouse.com is the place for you. They'll even help you cover your moving costs. It sounds too good to be true, but now you can own a full brick house, a brand new home for less than what you're paying in current rent. And maybe even better than that, credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And as always, with a new home, of course, you're getting a bumper-to-bumper warranty. If something goes wrong, you're covered. And if you're worried about your lease, FullBrickHouse.com can even help you buy out your current lease. And of course, the very best thing about FullBrickHouse.com is you're going to be in a brand new home. New is just better. Not only do you get a warranty, you get to pick everything out. You can make this dream a reality and own your very own full brick house for only $500 down, even with less than perfect credit at fullbrickhouse.com. The pod father, Tony and Tom, what a slap dick. Hypothetically, damn, I'm good. My wife picked this out. Bill's last bottle, both ride. Blair hit it first. Parker's jump rope, lowest rules. Fun dick, hot tag, pasta steel rules. I'm a Tom Zink guy. Tommy Young. Tommy Young. Tommy Young. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When Monday, right here on the MLW Radio Network. And I can't believe it, but he kicked out at two and a half. He's still with us, Tony Schiavone, ladies and gentlemen. Tony, what's going on, man? How about that? Uh, my last uh, trip to the Conradison, and it was almost my final trip to the Conradison <laughs> last week. Uh, thank you very much for all the tweets that said, Thank you very much for not dying. Thank you, Conrad, for helping me. Uh, you, you needed to see what it was like during that moment. Conrad hopped up. He was really concerned about me. Uh, Jay-Z was obviously uh, pulling back one or two, so he wasn't that concerned. And Matt Kuhn barely woke up with one eye, and he said, breathe, you'll be okay. Breathe, you'll be okay. <laughs> Thank you, Matt Kuhn. Uh, but that's not the story. The story is we've had a great week. We've had a lot of people download our podcast. We certainly do appreciate that. We had a lot of fun last week doing it, uh, and hopefully we'll have a lot of fun here this week as well. Watch Fall Brawl 96. Uh, It was uh, some pretty exciting stuff. Uh, Some lousy stuff as always. I mean, that's what you got with a pay-per-view, right? Has anyone ever said they had 100% thumbs up on a pay-per-view? No, not at all. So we'll talk about that and have a good time reliving some of the moments here today. I think we should probably... um clear up the rumor and innuendo you choking on the show last week was not a bit i mean that was real life that was not planned uh i thought it was you just having fun and then we realized oh shit this is real 
right. um <laughs> you know because we we have a tendency to try to have fun here on the show that's the name of the game but all of a sudden it got real and uh, i'm really glad you're okay and if you were listening to the show and wondered if you were i guess we should clear this up hey was that real and why were we all so different afterwards well because yes it was real two why was there so much music uh you know edited into the show we were trying to do it live to tape as we have with some other shows before where we would say hey watch along with us and start now and there were things that needed to be edited whether it was just a function of one of us getting too close to the microphone one of us saying something that we really probably in hindsight wished we shouldn't have some sort of technical difficulty whatever and then number three uh was conrad drunk tony i'll let you answer now i should i should say I have no problem with drinking during a show, as you guys have heard for many times now. And if you've ever seen us at a live show, the drinking is a shoot. I do drink when we're doing a live show. However, last week, when everyone and their brother assumed we were actually hammered, clear it up for us, Tony. No, we you uh, we weren't hammered at all. I've seen you drunk, so I know what a drunk Conrad is. And it was it did not happen there. We were just laid back, having a great time, and we had a. We had a studio audience, so we were, it was kind of a different show. We were kind of different reacting to things. We were kind of playing off the audience as well. So that's why it kind of sounded different. You you weren't drunk at all. Not at all. And listen, I I grew up with two parents who drank all the time, so I know what drinking's all about, and and I can snip it out in a moment, and that was not you at all. Well, and, and, you know, we're not trying to clear my good name because I don't have a good name. I'm a slapdick from (laughs) Alabama. I'm just saying... You know, the, you the, last week we had a portable gimmick in my den, so we're on different microphones, and we had a bit of a studio audience. I can't help myself. I'm going for the cheap pop, trying to make my buddies laugh. And so the show just sounded different. So this week yeah. we'll be back to normal. I will be popping tops. It is a gimmick. It's Coke Zero. I hate to, you know, kill our rib here. Yeah. Uh, but we'll sound normal again with less music and probably less laughs and certainly less choking. Yeah, <laughs> we hope. And by the way, it's Coke Zero Sugar now. Got to oh, clear that yeah. up. Sorry. My it's apologies. changed. It, is, okay. it has changed, but so has professional wrestling. Let's get into Boy. it, and let's go back to Fall Brawl 1996. And, Tony, we've never talked about this before, but this is the first pay-per-view that I got like from WCW when I got back into pay-per-view. I, I had kind of gotten away from wrestling in 1992. And as I've mentioned here before on the show, I'm flipping through the channels in the fall of 1996 and I see Hulk Hogan and there he is in all black with the black beard. And I thought, wait, what is this? And what do you know? They hooked me. And this storyline of Sting turning heel and, and joining the NWO and attacking Lex Luger, man, it got me. And I was all back in. This was my first pay-per-view back. And I enjoyed watching it even this week. What was your takeaway your favorite memory, I guess, from watching this back after you haven't seen it in what twenty-one years? Yeah, it, it had been every bit of twenty-one years. I, uh, I liked it. I back when we were doing it, I thought it was a, a darn good storyline uh, that uh, Sting had turned on everyone. Now, keep in mind, this was coming out of that mess we had at Disney. We've talked about that mess before, where they threw Ray Mysterio Jr. into the uh, trailer like a lawn dart, and right. the Macho Man hops on top of the. Uh, on top of the limousine and it, it they all hell breaks loose at disney and we get a little heat or a lot of heat from disney from doing it so this was right after that sting appears and he starts wailing away on luger of course and we didn't realize at that time it was the fake sting but we went into it uh went into this night 
thinking that Sting had turned his back on WCW. They had not. And this began, if you'll recall, the beginning of Sting the Crow or the Crow Sting. Right. So I thought it was a very good storyline. The one thing I didn't like about it at the time and watching it again I didn't like about it was Sting all of a sudden just appears on an interview that Luger and the guys are doing in the backstage area right before they walk out for war games to clear his name. In reality, if you try to put logic into this, and a lot of times you shouldn't do this in pro wrestling, if you try to put logic into this, Sting would have probably have tried to clear his name up beforehand. Sure. Maybe on an interview by himself. Right. I just thought that was kind of out of place that they would run him in there right before war games to clear it up. But I like the way Sting walked on him. Uh, I really like the way that that uh, the, the NWO posed for the picture and painted Elizabeth Stress. I, I liked all that. And a lot of the other matches, too. A lot of the matches on the undercard were very, very good in this show. So I thought it was a very good show. Well, let's get started on it. But before we do, let's sort of set the stage as to just the level of realism that this NWO angle had taken on. And, and I'm going to be using a lot of work here from Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer He wrote in one of the issues on the way to this show, real story, a woman called the WCW offices last week complaining because her five-year-old had spray painted NWO on her one-year-old. Did you ever hear this story about a five-year-old spray painting a one-year-old? No. Where does he get the, where does he get this information from? I, I, I'm sure we got a lot of prank calls and I don't even know if that was a prank call or not, but a lot of phone calls at the office through the switchboard. And how does this one all of a sudden get to Dave Meltzer's desk? Well, I don't I, know, but I, I, I love it. I this at all. I, you know, I, <laughs> this tickles me. The idea of a five-year-old. It's, it's hilarious. I would have said, great. We're having an impact on people. Is this, uh, <laughs> this feels like the Chris Shivani story, you know, children <laughs> spray painting each other. Mom's upstairs drunk. Dad's riding around <laughs> playing pro wrestler, trying to chase Medusa and her big boobs and Chris is at home spray painting the kids. Yeah, he would have spray painted the twins. There's no question like that. Do you know back when uh, when we lived in Connecticut? Now that the uh, the kids were very young, the one year we lived in Connecticut, uh, we're talking that the twins were not even two. So Chris was like maybe four. Let's say Chris is four and the twins are two. We uh, Lois and I go to New York City have a babysitter. Her name was Leisha Murphy. She worked in the front office, uh, and she called us. I'm trying to remember how she called us because Chris had body slammed one of the twins <laughs> on, in the, in the front foyer and the foyer was a slate floor. So it cracked his head open. She had to run a twin to the hospital because Chris had body slammed one of his brothers. And I remember Lois saying, that's it. No more wrestling at this house. None. But dad, we want to see dad bullshit. You want to see dad? No more wrestling at this house. And so we had to keep wrestling off TV for quite a while with the kids. I don't know why, but that amuses me to no end. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a true Shivani story from Connecticut. It really is. So there you go. Another fun story that amused me is uh, on the way here to this uh, pay-per-view, uh, the Saturday night before. So um, WCW Saturday night, of course, for a long time was the, the flagship show. The mothership, sure. I believe, is what uh, Dusty what, Rose would call it. And, and then Nitro, of course, becomes the A show. So now Saturday night's more of the B show. But there was a, a tape skit here where the NWO went out and smashed up a Cadillac. It was a red Cadillac, and they're they're destroying all the windows out of it. And it was kind of a last-minute deal to get some heat. Because if you remember on Nitro at the time, they were famous for 
a limousine pulls up and who's in the limousine and who's going to get out. And they were using this to build some intrigue for the next NWO member. And sting was in there, of course, famously in the Monday go home nitro on the way to this pay-per-view. But the night before they do this Cadillac angle and Dave Meltzer wrote this Paul white, AKA the giant had to buy the Cadillac. They destroyed in the angle that aired on Saturday. Uh, they got a rented Cadillac that was supposed to be Lex Luger's car and the NWO destroyed it. They had an agreement with the rental place as to how much damage would be done and basically totally exceeded it in the heat of battle and white became the scapegoat. Do you remember this story that all of a sudden the giant gets stuck with this? This feels like a rib. I, I remember the story being that WCW got stuck with it. Uh, David Crockett was always in charge of, of these things, getting limousines and getting rental cars and, and getting a flatbed truck to have a uh, King of the Road match. <laughs> uh, he was always in charge of getting these things. And I remember him telling me that we just cannot continue to do things like this, destroying cars and having to buy cars. We can't afford to do this. Now, it could have been that afterwards, Eric went to the giant and said, hey, you got to pay for this. But what I remember that WCW was on, on, it was on WCW's tab and was another way that, again, that we were just bleeding money as a company, doing crazy things like this, destroying cars and, and not worrying about it. If, if we wanted to do it, as outrageous as it would have been, destroying a car, or destroying a limousine or whatever it took, we were going to do it and not worry about the money because we thought it was a good idea. Yeah. And, and this, you know, it was a cool visual, but it's on a sort of throwaway afterthought angle here that I didn't feel like was necessary. So right. chalk that up as another WCW isque thing. Um, Meltzer would write current plan, which could change is for the NWO to get the Saturday night show, either one hour per week or two hours every other week. Ted DiBiase will be the color, uh, announcer, no decision regarding the play by play man. Now I'm, I bring this up because the sort of angle what's on the line for the WCW NWO war games here is if the NWO wins, even though they technically quote unquote, don't work here and don't have contracts that they will then, uh, win television time from WCW. And so they can kind of develop their own show. And we, you and I freestyled once upon a time that maybe one of the reasons Ted DiBiase was brought in. Yes. He had the WWF name going for him and it would be a natural fit for the NWO. But B, maybe he could be a potential backup or replacement for Bobby Heenan because Bischoff had grown tired a little bit of his performance. Do you believe that Ted DiBiase being the color guy for the NWO as their own show was at one time the long-term plan? The long-term plan to replace Bobby Heenan? Well, I mean, in terms of we're going to give the NWO a show. We're going to run it as its own separate brand. Yeah. And we'll have yeah. Ted be on that. And then eventually maybe try to work Ted into the broadcast booth to be the representative from the NWO on the, on yeah. the nitros and what have you. Yeah, that, that there's no question. That was the plan. Uh, they were still, they were very unsure about what they wanted to do with the NWO. Right. And it was a very fluid thing. I mean, if they weren't sure from one week to the next, how many cars they were going to destroy, they certainly weren't sure about what they would do. Uh, I, I do know this, that to make the NWO show work on Saturday night, 
it would almost have to be a live show like a nitro. And why do you think that is? Because that's kind of the way they operated. Uh, Nitro became their number one show. If they wanted to elevate, if you wanted to elevate the NWO, you had to make it a live show like a nitro. Uh, and there were so many problems with that. Obviously you couldn't go out every Saturday night and do a live TV show. And if you taped it, then you had to, you had to do nitro based on what already had been put in the can like the week before. Nitro ran everything. Right. Everything was based on nitro. And the more you went out and did different things, the more you confined yourself to have to do what was already in the can. They didn't want that to happen. So I think a number of reasons uh, why they uh, uh, shit can the uh, WCW Monday night, WCW Saturday night nitro or NWO show was basically they thought about, well, we got to do it live. We're going to do it right leading into Monday nitro. We can't afford to go out and do something else live again. And, uh, it just didn't work for them. If you had to freestyle a guess, what do you think the production costs were for a nitro? Oh. Just as far as doing the live show, uh, you're talking about uh, talent fees and all that. I'm talking about specifically the costs from a production standpoint and, and it being a tape show or a live show, a satellite, the whole deal. What's the difference monetarily in your opinion? Just freestyle a guess for me between taped and live. Oh, but between taped and live, uh, half a million dollars. Between taped and live, half a million. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, Meltzer would write, Neil Pruitt deserves much of the credit for the great production of the NWO segments. He splices in a lot of stuff they don't even know is being filmed, like when they laugh at each other's dirty jokes. And this is something that we've kind of heard about for a long time from Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, where they felt like, especially in the early days of the NWO, Hogan couldn't help himself and would fall into the more old school eighties. Well, you know, something brother sort of routine that he had just gotten really comfortable with and mastered and, and had been very effective for him. So instead they just started to film everything and then pick sort of pick out uh, the spots that they thought they could splice together here. Uh, is that the way you remember it? And how much credit do you think Neil Pruitt really deserves for that? Yeah, Neil Neil Pruitt deserves all the credit in the world. He Neil was a great and still is a great television guy, and became a NWO the NWO guy. Of course, he was the the voice of the NWO, and uh, he deserves credit for all of that because he was the guy who uh, who worked on all that. That was his project. I, I don't remember. Have we talked about what Neil Pruitt is doing these days? Uh, we have not. Do you know what he's doing? No, I wasn't sure. I know you said that he's still a TV guy. So I okay, well, uh, Neil does uh, does some production work on a freelance basis. He also teaches production uh, and, and teaches production work to students. I don't know if it's a part of a school or not, but uh, he and I were going to get together really after uh, WrestleCon because he came into WrestleCon and talked to us. I think I introduced you to him. Uh, and uh, he's... Uh, He's just doing freelance work right now. Basically he he did some work. I think some at the very beginning with, uh, TNA, but that, that did not last. So if you're listening and you've been looking for Neil Pruitt, the man behind the NWO vignettes and the voice, right? Tony. Yep. He was the voice. 
his uh, script to screen is what you need to be looking for. He's still in Atlanta and still doing production. And uh, shout out to Neil. So one of the other things that, um, you know, they're really talking about at the time, according to the observer is not just this idea that if the NWO wins war games, they get their own section of television or television show is that they'll also get their own tag team titles. And that idea was floated around for a few weeks as if they were going to create the outsiders, their very own NWO belts. And then going into the pay-per-view Meltzer reveals that that idea has been dropped. Uh, and instead they're just going to have, um, you know, Harlem heat drop the belts at Halloween havoc to Holland Nash. Do you recall there ever being a, an idea of let's create our own section of NWO belts? Because there was lots of rumor for a long time that Hogan was going to be quote unquote stripped of the WCW title. And instead he w- he would call his new belt, the NWO belt. Conrad, there was talk about, there was so much talk about how far they were going to go with the NWO. There was nothing really, uh, firm about that. It's own, uh, the NWO's own show, the NWO's own titles, uh, the NWO's own belts, NWO's own pay-per-view, which they tried. And obviously we talked about, we had it earlier on an earlier episode. Uh, we all thought it failed miserably. They, they did a lot of freestyling and theorizing about what would work for the NWO. And they wanted at one time to be the NWO by itself and WCW by itself. And they never really did much of, of anything they talked about. And that's because they, they, they changed all the time. They, they, they could not settle on a lot of stuff. They, they everything changed. I mean, that's what we were about. We, we were about change. You know, I've, I've mentioned many times about how many times we had uh, formats come our way and then uh, be torn up and uh, would be, we would be given like a segment three format when segment two was going on. They changed their mind all the time. Eric's line was, we can't let what we have already established stop a good idea. If we've got a good idea, we're going to go with it and everything else be damned. Uh, so at one time, the NWO was a good idea to have NWO World Tag Team Champs, NWO World Champs, strip Hogan of the belt, have their own show, their own pay-per-view, and then all of a sudden, nah, that's really not a good idea. And they changed. Do you think that it was Bischoff ultimately making those decisions or was Turner yes. coming down on the television side and saying, hey, uh, we appreciate you got a good angle, but we don't want to dedicate more time to this? Uh, no, I, I think it was Eric Bischoff's uh, decision on doing that. Let's talk about live TV because lots of stuff can happen when you're live and and some of it doesn't go as well as you may have hoped on the way to this show, Scott Hall receives a chair shot from Randy Savage, uh, and it splits his head open. And this happens on the November, I'm sorry, September 2nd nitro. Uh, do you recall there being any sort of heat and how often was this when, you know, a chair or a prop like this is used and through nobody's fault, I'm sure there was, you know, no ill will here. One of the guys gets hurt. Does the other guy, you know, react the way you might imagine to that? Yeah, they react. They, they should. They, from what I remember from all those guys, they would always react because they are they're as Arn Anderson used to call them. It's our business partner, right? We're all in business together. And if, if something goes wrong, uh, then you have to own up to it. And you would always be concerned about hurting the guy you were working with. I remember. 
while you were talking about this, I was remembering Arn Anderson one time, uh, Arn was getting ready to go to the ring and we were in the locker room area, must've been a house show. And I was back talking to him and he was putting on cologne. And I said, you're putting on cologne. I said, you do that afterwards. He said, no, he said, he said, you don't want to stink, stink up the guy you're working with. You want to, he's your business partner. You want to smell good. You want to be a pleasant working atmosphere for him. So, uh, and I always thought, wow, that's, that's kind of weird. But that to me was an example of, of how you took care of the guy you were working with. Now, if I don't know if Randy had heat with Scott Hall could have, and probably knowing, you know, Scott may have been very upset about that chair shot, but knowing how a professional that Randy was, Randy probably checked on him, was very concerned about it. Guys got hurt all the time. Sure. Uh, and, uh, the idea obviously to this was to not get hurt, but when you're using gimmicks like chairs and obviously tables and trash cans and kendo sticks and, um, guitars, as we talked about last week, things are going to happen. I'm going to give you a few different examples here of some, some live TV snafus and we'll run through them quickly. That same nitro September 2nd, Nancy Sullivan falls out of her top on this show. Um, and the giant is climbing off a podium and he trips and takes a spill on the floor. And then the next week, Bobby Heenan on September 9th accidentally called Ming Haku and Bischoff because they're in the middle of this fake razor diesel lawsuit, um, has to issue a big elaborate on-air apology saying that Haku is his WWF name and he is in no way associated with the WWF because they're being sued left and right by Vince McMahon for Scott Hall and Kevin Nash being on the program. Do you remember any of these live uh, situations that you'd like to comment on, or can you think of any other moments similar to that where live TV and it just kind of got you? Well, if, uh, even go back to this show, uh, this fall brawl show that we're getting ready to do, uh, Ray Mysterio jr. Uh, it may not have been the Ray Mysterio jr. Match. No, it was the, uh, it was the Conan Juventud Guerrero match, right? If you'll recall, Juventud Guerrero was waving to the fans and was going backwards and backed up over the steps and fell on his ass. Uh, the things like that happen all the time. And, and there is also a moment. If you go back and you watch closely to this fall brawl match, uh, um, uh, Jackie Crockett was between the rings with the camera and Kevin Nash came over with his foot and he and Jackie got tangled up. Uh, and it was a moment they had to get untangled. So a lot of that stuff happened. The Eric Bischoff thing, I remember happening. I remember thinking at that time, well, there you go. That's, that's the, uh, that's what you get into when you, when you try to, uh, have this angle where seemingly the WWE is trying to take over WCW, right? Uh, you, you're going to have things like that happen. Uh, and, uh, Eric had to issue that apology and that was just part of, uh, of the blowback from that. Uh, let's keep going here as we talk about all the things that are going on in the business, because there's lots of rumor and innuendo about who's going to jump, who's not going to jump. Because yeah. at this point, the Monday night wars were really heating up. Would you agree with that, Tony? Yeah. And that's why people were watching it. That's why, uh, that's why we had such good ratings. Uh, well, one of the reasons we had such good ratings, but uh, one of the reasons we had such good ratings is you never know who would show up one night to the next. I never knew who would show up one night to the next. Would somebody else defect? 
would somebody else come from Raw and come into Nitro and be a part of it? And as we went along, you know, you saw obviously Hall and Nash were the beginning of it. Uh, and you saw some other guys come across Bret Hart. I know I'm not doing a, a right timeline here, but, uh, Roddy Piper showed up later. So you just never know who would show up that had a W, uh, WE connection. Well, let's talk about that because the original plan was for Davy boy Smith to debut as a member of the new world order. And he was supposed to be, uh, the guy who was there instead of the giant. At the last minute, all of a sudden, Vince McMahon catches wind of Davey Boy, who had been working on a handshake verbal agreement with Vince to extend his contract. When when Vince finds out that he's negotiating, he puts the screws to him, and that is no longer an offer from WCW. And allegedly, WCW even had a bigger money offer, but Vince really pushes the issue, and, and Davey Boy stays put. So... Instead of Davy Boy joining the NWO, the Giant does. And they do this after a Four Horsemen Dungeon of Doom main event. And after the Horsemen win the match, of course, the NWO comes out and um, three of their guys beat up eight WCW wrestlers. Uh, and of course, the Giant comes down and everybody assumes he's here to make the save for WCW. But instead, he joins the NWO. Um, Talk me through this. Do you think that the NWO angle, I mean, how, if at all, would it have been different had Davey boy joined? It would have been different because it, uh, the giant to me, the giant turning, uh, as a part of the NWO and even down the road when the macho man turned a part of the NWO just didn't work. Right. Uh, because if for the NWO to work, you would have needed to. And of course, Hogan being Hogan by himself, he would have needed to more guys come from the other side to join the NWO. Like Davey Boy, like Bret Hart, like, I don't know, Shawn Michaels, which obviously wasn't going to happen. But that's what you needed to keep pushing those in. Now you were taking away from the WCW talent by feeding the NWO. And to me, it did not work. Uh, it just weakened WCW if, in fact, that is the storyline you wanted to build. NWO versus WCW. We're talking about the giant in the last pay-per-view, right? At, at road wild, dropping the strap to Hogan and getting screwed over by Hogan. And now a pay-per-view later, he is a part of the NWO. Right. To me, there was no logic in that at all. And that's again, I, I know I'm uh, doing it being a Monday morning quarterback here in 2017, but I also thought that back then. Well, it also appeared that it threw out a lot of potential ideas at the time, because heading into this, uh, a lot of people were assuming that they were angling for Kevin Nash and the giant and Halloween havoc. And that was floated out there as being the original Halloween havoc plan. And at some point Hogan and the giant again, perhaps, um, you know, world war three or Starcade or whatever, but just to continue that. But when it doesn't happen, um, uh, with the Davy boy signing, they have to call an audible and they do something different instead. And there's a lot of pressure on Bischoff, according to the observer, because he felt maybe it was just from within himself. He needed something for the anniversary of nitro. And I think a lot of people forget that this is right around the same time as the first, you know, the anniversary of nitro, the, the debut show. And of course we all remember on the debut show, that's when Luger shows up sort of right. out of nowhere. 
And he was trying to do that with Davy boy Smith. So when that falls out, they feel like they need another big angle. So instead the next best thing is the giant. And it is interesting to think about what it would look like if one year after Luger debuts kind of as a surprise, Davy boy does the same. To me, that would have worked a whole lot better. I, I just wonder if, I don't know. I, and you hear so much and rumor. And I, I just wonder if that was, it was, was it as important to have something big on the one year anniversary of nitro or was it important just to continue to build the NWO on a gradual basis instead of just looking at that one date? Right. Uh, to me, uh, to me, yeah, that one year anniversary meant a lot, but I don't, I don't know pressure to bring in somebody new. I, I, I mean, Eric had to realize that when he brought in Hall and he brought in Nash and he brought in Luger and he was getting those guys, he had to realize that WWE was going to, you know, was going to buck up and try to do something. If nothing else, try to win, you know, legally prevent this stuff from happening. He had to realize that. Um, I, I just don't know if he felt pressure one year, one year out or not. I, I just, it's. You know, we're, we're, in a, we're in a very good time for WCW right now, but we're in a very dangerous time for WCW right now because he's playing with fire. He's going up against the guy who's pretty ruthless when it comes to suits and, and, and lawsuits and doing things and trying to stop your business. Uh, and he's, he's dragging Turner Broadcasting into this. Probably a place they didn't want to be. Well, I'll tell you where they did want to be, and that's selling tickets. Halloween Havoc tickets went on sale <laughs> on uh, August 31st in Las Vegas, and they did a big autograph signing party. So if you yeah. would come out in Las Vegas and pick up your tickets in person from, this is a different time, of course, but if you come buy your tickets at the box office, you'd have an opportunity to meet Randy Savage, Bobby Heenan, and Mean Gene Okerlund. And this was hugely successful. As you said, WCW is kind of rolling here. So they set right. an all-time dollar record for first-day sales for WCW, doing nearly $94,000. And this is pretty good because that's only about 2000 of the tickets because they're charging almost $100 a ticket for the first six rows of seats. So those premium seats are selling quickly, and they're selling for $100, which at the time was a really, really big deal for WCW. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, that was a big deal. Well, but being in Las Vegas was a big deal for WCW. Sure. Having it sponsored by Slim Jims, having a, a uh, title sponsored to an event was a big deal for WCW. And having the Macho Man part of it was, you know, and again, it, you know, I'm, I'm sure this blurred the lines with a lot of fans, don't you? No, I, I totally uh, agree. I'm, you know, the, the whole NWO angle had such realism and, and right. they continued to shoot it that way to where, they, they're doing these limos, of course, and there is a, a time on Nitro where um, Sting and Lex Luger are giving chase uh, to Nick Patrick, who had disqualified them at 39 seconds into a match with the Steiner brothers. And so when Nick Patrick gets out to where the limo is, all of a sudden, DiBiase is shown getting out of the limo, and now we know for sure DiBiase is with the NWO and not the Four Horsemen. And, um, I don't know. This seems random sting throws something through the limo window. And this sounds make believe, but it's real. Then sting and Lex Luger steal a police car and chase them down the freeway. Uh, <laughs> this is the first time WCW has done something like this. And 
of course, as we know, as we head into this show, we've got Hall, Nash, Hogan, Ted DiBiase, and the Giant now as members of the NWO. And we're all, if you're a smart fan at the time, you're keeping up with Sean Waltman is coming in, the former one, two, three kid, just any time now. Um, at this point, what did you think about the way wrestling was being presented? We're just a couple of years from there being little people blowing up boats with dynamite and Jake Roberts shooting laser beams out of his eyes. Is this too real for you? Or is this more of the Jim Crockett type stuff you grew up on that you really enjoyed? Oh yeah. There was more of this. I, you know, again, we've talked about on this show, uh, uh the, the little people, can we say midgets on this show, Conrad? You can say whatever you want. It's your show. <laughs> He's blaming me now. <laughs> You're blaming me for saying this shit. Okay, so we're uh, we, uh, we are uh, uh, years away from a sawed-off little fucking runt trying to blow up a boat, uh, and uh, Jake the Snake uh, shooting lasers out of his eyes, which were done by Turner Home Entertainment that didn't have a clue about wrestling. And now we are kind of blurring the lines between WCW and the WWF. And, and, and the fans are kind of caught up in, oh, this is really a war going on here. The Monday Night Wars are real. Well, they were, weren't they? In, in, the, in the boardrooms, I guess, in the courtrooms, in the depositions and everything. And who's going to come up next? And there are probably some of the fans that thought since we have Hogan and since Gene Okerlund is, is holding the microphone and since we have the macho man, Randy Savage, that we are the WWF. Uh, and, uh, I thought it was a great time. I, I really, really enjoyed these times. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's been a lot said that, oh, we were using old wrestlers and older guys, but these guys could still draw at that time. Uh, but, uh, it was much better than, than what happened prior to that. You know, much what's, better. What's so fascinating to me is I, and I know most people listening to this are longtime wrestling fans and I get it. Sure. They are. Um, yeah. but the rap on Hulk Hogan in 1996, and you just said it was what too old. Now let's just, let's just go down the rabbit hole for a minute here. He's too old. And do you want to guess how old he was? Do you recall? Uh, no. How old was he? He turned 43 that year. AJ Styles is 40. John okay. Cena is 40. All right. So Hulk Hogan, Chris Jericho is 46. Hulk Hogan, who everybody's like, oh, he's out to pasture, blah, blah, blah. He's literally three years older than AJ Styles. Isn't that yeah. a little ridiculous to me that in hindsight, people were saying that he was out to pasture by that point. Well, look, Conrad, in hindsight, you know that, and the dirt sheets, Dave Meltzer being one of them, were standing out front with a blazing sword in the Let's Shit on Hulk Hogan campaign. They found every way they could to shit on him because he wasn't the greatest worker in the world, but he was over more than anybody else. Right. And they didn't appreciate that. They really, really didn't appreciate that. And they didn't like Hulk Hogan and probably Hulk Hogan didn't even call their dirt sheets to talk to him. And that probably pissed him off even more. And listen, Meltzer and Wade Keller and whomever else doing the dirt sheets had a profound impact on fans back then, smart fans. So it was fashionable to trash Hulk Hogan, but it was wrong. 
I'm going to go back and tell you again that the Bash of the Beach 96 turn that we had was one of the great angles of all time. Sure. And one of the great heel interviews of all time. One of the great turns in the business. I'm not going to say in the history of our great sport, some bitch, but it was one of the great turns ever. I always thought Hulk Hogan was tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. And I would scratch my head wondering why he always got this heat with fans. Oh, he's too old. Oh, he can't work. Oh, he looks out for himself only. Oh, he treats people like shit. I never, I, and I worked with him. I never saw any of that. Uh, a lot of it was probably jealousy that people thought he was so over. But my God, think of the impact Hulk Hogan had on their business. I don't want this to be a, you know, a Tony Schiavone, you know, Hulk Hogan type deal. But I, to me, the uh, disrespect and the hate for Hulk Hogan runs deep and people look any way they can to grab a part of it. Well, not me, Makes brother. Sense to you? I was a Hulkamaniac you know? and uh, yeah. I still am. I mean, I think he's one of the more uh, interesting performers in the history of wrestling. And I can't say that I would even be a wrestling fan if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan. I mean, he's. Can I also say this too? Little inside information here. Okay. Okay. Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart hopped on a private airplane to go see Ric Flair in the hospital. Yeah. Not many wrestlers have done that. No. Now, not many wrestlers can afford to do that, as Hulk Hogan can, I'm sure, but not many wrestlers would have done what, what Hulk Hogan did. Let me just say, there are professional wrestlers who have private planes. They did yeah. not come. Hulk Hogan That's did. Exactly. Hulk Hogan did. Uh, let's talk about some guys who were coming to the company at the time. Juventud Guerrero, Super Colo, uh, Chris Jericho, Glacier. They all debuted in September, so you've got a lot of guys coming in. When you look back at that list, Glacier came in with the biggest fanfare, you know, the biggest package, the bit, most money from WCW, the biggest push. Juventud Guerrera, Super Calo, Chris Jericho. Is that not a game of which one of these is not like the other? I mean, who would have <laughs> thought at the time? I think a lot of people at the time, if you're just a casual wrestling fan, you think based on presentation, Glacier's going to be the big guy. If you're a right. big dirt sheet reader, you probably think Juventud Guerrera is going to be the big guy. And Chris right. Jericho goes on to be one of the all-time greats. Right. Because overall Jericho was more talented than, than all of them. Conrad, you know, this to get over, you got to be able to work and talk. And Jericho could do both of that. Uh, Hooventude could work, but you know, he spoke Spanish glacier. He was a gimmick. I mean, for crying out loud, that's all he was. Uh, so it, Looking back on it, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me at all that Jericho's over more than the rest of them. Speaking of gimmicks, this is around the same time when the WWF is presenting fake razor and fake diesel on nitro. Yeah. You guys have the real razor and the real diesel in Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. What was the opinion of you Bischoff, the boys, the office of the way the WWF was parading around fake razor and fake diesel? We, we thought it was them drawing his straws, them uh, desperation moves, them saying in arrogance, Vince saying, it's not the guys, it's the gimmick. Right. I created Razor, I created Diesel, and I can put anybody in that spot and they'll be over. When in effect, that, no, you can't do that. Of course not. You can't put another guy as big as Hulk Hogan in and call him Hulk. Or hey. a guy with blonde hair and call him the nature boy. You can't do that. And I think if anybody proved that right, 
uh, or prove that, you know, what you're saying, correct. It's WCW with the renegade. You know what I mean? Like you tried to <laughs> create right. your own ultimate warrior and, uh, yeah. that was right. just a fart in church. So let's yeah. go to fall brawl. Uh, the observer poll amongst the readers gave it 45% thumbs up and 35% thumbs down. Only 18% thumbs in the middle. What say you, Tony thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. I, I say thumbs up. I say thumbs up because I liked a lot of the uh, first matches, even like the tag team match, with the exception of Norton and Ice Train being kind of a stinker. Uh, the matches were good, and the angle at the end I thought was pretty good as well. Heading into this, I should tell you that the best match, according to the readers, was Rey Mysterio and Super Calo. The worst match well, really. was Scott Norton and Ice Train. Surprise, surprise. Really? Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Meltzer opens his newsletter coming out of uh, that show by saying, Fall Brawl had great undercard wrestling, but bad main events, and the booking had more holes than Swiss cheese. Um, mm. Overall, the rap and the newsletters at the time was the WCW had a really strong undercard, but the main events were just awful. Meanwhile, the WWF had a terrible undercard and the main events were guys like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. And they're, they're going to have really, really good matches as a wrestling fan. Do you think that was true that the WWF had the better main events, but you guys had the stronger card because of the undercard? Uh, it depends on what you, what your taste is in wrestling, right? Uh, look, can I ask you this question? Yes. On, on these fucking dirt sheets, do you think he pads his numbers? What do you mean? In other words, give me the, give me the numbers again. 80, uh, 79% liked it, right? No, he said, uh, 45% liked it. 35% did not. Okay. So are we, are we are to take these numbers basically at face value? Well, yeah, I do believe that these numbers you do are believe shoot okay. because these numbers right. are just the readers, you know, it's not okay. his opinion. Okay. Really? I mean, he is reporting on a bullshit business. So who's to say he's not full of shit as well? Okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't okay. know we were going to, uh, what I'm saying is I just think there could have been, it could have been all his, more of his opinion than the reader's opinion. Maybe not. Maybe they followed in. Follow in like blindless sheep to him. I don't know. Well, let me ask uh, this because I, I'm not doing a podcast with Dave. I'm doing one with you. What did you right. think? Did you think that WWF had stronger main events than you guys did? Uh, no, I did not. Now you feel like you did not based on the work or based on the name value that you guys had and that's based what, on the name value. Yeah. Um, that, that's what I imagined you were, you were kind of aiming towards because right. You know, your main events here have the macho man and have Hulk Hogan. And on the other side, you have Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Now, if you're a hardcore wrestling fan, you certainly know that Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart are better wrestlers. However, if you're my dad, a casual wrestling fan, man, he wants to see Hulk Hogan and Macho Man. I mean, exactly. that, those are the marquee household names. Right. I, uh, another side of this too, Conrad, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch their stuff. I, I, I've, I've said this many times. I think you did yourself a disservice. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I think you, you did yourself a disservice by watching the competition. I always thought you just try to do, because if I watched what they were doing, maybe I would try to emulate what they were doing. Coming into this pay-per-view, it's being promoted pretty much as a one match show, man. It is all about the war games. It's all about the NWO. 
it's going down in Winston-Salem at the Lawrence Joel Coliseum. And the fans are here to see the horsemen get their revenge. And right. ultimately, of course, as we know, they're going to leave, as Meltzer says, with all the air out of their sails. And this happened, you know, we covered this in 1997. It's available in our archives. This happened in, in you know, back-to-back years here where the NWO comes out of this victorious where you're in horseman country and people are there to see the horseman and it just falls a little flat. But there's a lot of folks here, man. 11,300 folks. That's a big house for WCW at the time. Uh, an astonishing number. 10,714 of those are paid. They totaled uh, a gate number of $153,000 and $52,000 in gimmicks. Surprisingly, and this really shocked me, the Horseman merchandise outsold the NWO stuff four to one here, which wow. geographically probably wouldn't happen anywhere else in the world. But it, it tells you who this crowd in Winston-Salem came to see because the NWO is selling merchandise like left and right at this point. Right, Tony? Yeah, they are. Here's what it was a very old school type town and old school territory. It, when we presented the NWO as heels, they really believed they were heels and they booed them. It still was not fashionable to cheer the NWO in Winston-Salem or Greensboro North Carolina, probably not in Raleigh, probably not in Richmond, Virginia, probably not in the, not in the old strongholds of the NWA and Crockett promotions. It's just amazing to me that it goes four to one, but keep that in mind as we go through the matches, let's get to the card. First up, we've got DDP taking on Chavo Guerrero and man, Meltzer was high on this. They'll go about 13 minutes. Of course, DDP wins with the diamond cutter. And Meltzer would say, shockingly good. Page was really impressive carrying Guerrero, who is still very green, although he has potential. Actually a great opener, except it went a few minutes too long. Good crowd reactions, great moves, exciting near falls, and Page worked so well, you really didn't get a sense Guerrero was only half his size. Guerrero did moves like a springboard clothesline, drop kick off the top, a flying hurricane run off the top. Page got a huge pop when he spun Guerrero into a doctor bomb for a near fall before the finish three and a half stars Meltzer at the time was not making his business to heap praise on DDP, but right here, man, it's a gold star and it's kind of fun. In, in hindsight, I think most people hear these two names and they think Chavo was the better worker, but here DDP had to kind of carry him to a good match. what did you think of this opener? It was a great opener and he had to heap praise on DDP because he was right. That one uh, move into a drop bomb or whatever was a tremendous move. The diamond cutter was getting over. We were starting to see the beginning of diamond becoming a big, big star. Diamond became a big star because of how hard he worked and because his moves looked legit. Diamond cutter was, was a great finishing maneuver and diamond Dallas page. We're seeing the beginning of it. David, uh, Dave Meltzer put him over because he had to, it was a great match. Absolutely. Up next, we've got ice train taking on uh, Scott Norton. This is a submission match and it's on pay-per-view. Yeah. So what a time in America, people are paying $30 to see ice train take on Scott Norton in a submission match. It goes about seven minutes. Uh, Norton would attack Teddy long, which allowed train to come from behind with a full Nelson and Norton tapped out. Um, yeah. it got a star and a quarter, which I really can't believe is a real thing. Uh, <laughs> I would ask who ice train was fucking to be on this show, but I already know the answer. So 
Can you give yeah. me any other feedback about this match? I well, Ice Train could have been fucking somebody during the first match, don't you think? I don't While know. The first match was going on. Ice Train could do anything Ice Train wanted to do. You know what yeah. I mean? Look, uh, this was uh, this was not a good match. It was unique in that it was a uh, it was a submission match. What what made me chuckle about it, even remembering it when I did it, and even watching it again, was that when uh, Brian Hillebrand uh, stuck the uh, the microphone in, uh, and we were trying to hear him say, "No, no, I'm not going to give up." Only thing we we hear him doing is blowing up, right? <laughs> and that's all we could hear. So I thought it was pretty funny. He's um, 49 years old these days. And if you're not familiar with Ice Train, I encourage you to throw him in your Google machine because one of the first pictures you'll see is an Ice Train in a singlet that says "Chew Chew" on it. And I, and I don't know why, but that tickles yeah. me. You got any good yeah. uh, stories about Scott Norton? Scott Norton is one of these guys that we smart marks have heard forever and ever was just a legit badass motherfucker. Yeah, he was. Scott was one of those guys that had this been real, he would probably have been one of the top contenders for a title. I always thought Scott Norton would have been a, a good ultimate fighter at one time. You know, been able to snatch you and, and put you in one of those submission holes to where you'd have to tap out or, or black out. Wasn't he a, a, an arm wrestler at one point in his life? Yeah, yeah, he was an arm wrestler. That's why they called him Scott Flash Norton, because he could beat you in a flash. Just like that. I wish the match would have been over in a flash. We had to suck well, seven look, minutes. Seven minutes was okay. Seven you, if you would have taken those seven minutes and put them on somebody else's match, that match probably would have gone too long. Meltzer said that the DDP match went a little bit too long. I don't know what the what the uh rule of thumb is for matches going too long. But, you know, have it, have it the second match, get rid of it, move on to something else. Next up, we've got Conan, who has recently joined the Dungeon of Doom. He has a slightly different look. He looks uh, more like a West Coast gangster at this point and and a little less like uh, the Mexican superstar with the bright, colorful outfits. And he pins Juventud Guerrera. They go nearly 14 minutes, and supposedly the Mexican heavyweight title was on the line. You mentioned one of the high spots in the match being when uh, Guerrero trips over the ring steps uh, when he's kind of not paying attention to where he's going and walking backwards. Meltzer yeah. really liked the the match. Uh, it goes to a three and three quarter star uh, rating, and towards the end, of course, uh, we would see Conan win with a power drop while standing on the middle ropes. Lots of innovative stuff at the time: springboards and big, powerful moves including a power bomb on the floor, which is pretty ridiculous, uh, especially for the time overall, though, I gotta say, I didn't know that these guys really meshed together. I, I felt like I had seen better matches from Conan and I've seen better matches from Hooventude with different opponents. Was there something about them that you thought didn't work well, or did you enjoy the match? Well, Hooventude always see, I enjoyed the match because I've always enjoyed Conan's work, uh, and thought he was a very good worker, but. Hooventude always worked better with guys who were high flyers like himself. Right. And Conan was, and we, I think we tried to pinpoint that or, or point that out that Conan was a big guy. Right. Uh, and so it worked better when he was, when Hooventude was wrestling a, a Rey Mysterio or a Super Calo or, or, or somebody like that. Uh, who was like the greatest worker ever that Terry Taylor called? Was it La Parca? 
that they call the greatest worker of all time or whatever. Those high flyers seem to work together much better. But I think based on that, uh, that they had a very, very good match. It was, it was some good stuff. And, and Hoovy was, wasn't this like one of the first matches we ever saw Hooventude in WCW? It was very early in Hooventude's career yeah. with you guys. He had just started earlier right. that month, I believe. Right. Yeah. And so he was just developing a, a persona and developing some sort of following within WCW. So it was kind of new. The Hooventude Guerrero stuff was kind of new to us as fans, as announcers as well. Next up, we've got Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. They go about 14 and a half minutes. Uh, Meltzer called it an excellent match. He gave it four stars. Uh, Benoit would get the pin with a back suplex while standing on the top rope. So quite a finish there. Meltzer did say that the the match had a couple of problems. Uh, the first being Benoit's a horseman. So in this town, he's going to be cheered wildly because they're behind the horseman. Jericho is actually supposed to be the baby face though, but they're, they've positioned the match to where Jericho is supposed to have baby face reactions and pops for some of his moves and the, the story they're trying to tell, but the crowd's just not having it. They want their horsemen to win. And here's the second problem. I think you'll like this one. The other yeah. problem is that the announcers didn't call a thing. Actually, it was an incredible match with one great move after another and stiff chops from a technical wrestling standpoint. This was the best match on the card. And as good a match as you'll see anywhere. Uh, what do you think yeah. of Benoit Jericho? And do you think that he's right about, uh, you know, the fans not really, uh, playing along with the baby face yeah. heel dynamic in the match? Yeah, he's right about all of that. And he's probably right about the announcers not doing a good job with it. Go back. And I'm, I'm watching this match now. Second time, just this past week, to me, it was by far the best match on the card, right? And I listened to it, and I and I I we didn't do it justice. Uh, but uh, again, you know that's uh, that's hindsight, and there was always a chance if we if, for us to call the match correctly, there was always the chance that Dave Meltzer could have set his fat ass down next to us and called it with us, and then maybe it would have been called correctly. Just you know, freestyling here, you understand? Oh, Just yeah. freestyling. Uh, next up, Ray Mysterio pins super Calo. They go, uh, almost 16 minutes and the WCW cruiserweight title is on the line. Uh, Meltzer would say, even though Calo put an incredible performance on, since nobody knew who he was, they didn't react to anything except an occasional no. pop for a big move. So the match was dead early since the early part was designed to give Calo credibility and offense. He did some incredible moves, including a drop kick off the top rope to the floor a plancha into a rolling headbutt on the floor and an incredible head scissors into a cradle coming off the top rope. Of course, we're all familiar with what Mysterio can do when he's doing craziness, uh, springboards into the ring, uh, perfectly timed drop kicks, um, a springboard onto the Frankensteiner, uh, onto the floor and then more somersault splashes and springboards galore. I mean, just every sort of flippity floppity, holy shit. We've never seen this before. And then, of course, Mysterio wins with a picture-perfect Hurricane Rana for the pin. And this is all top-rope stuff. Um, four stars from Dave Meltzer. This is so far ahead of its time. Now, of course, you see this probably every week now in professional wrestling. But back then, man, these guys were setting a new standard. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, it was a great match. And, you know, uh, correctly so, 
the fans didn't buy it. As a matter of fact, if you go back and you watch it now, you'll hear some chant fans start to chant boring at the beginning of it. Uh, but uh, Ray did such a great job putting Super Calo over and putting these moves over and selling for him during the first part of this match that it made the finish very, very good. I thought it was, and you know how I feel about luchador matches and high spots meaning nothing, but Ray, by selling for Super Calo at the beginning of this match, made the finish mean even more. Right. So how about that? You can be a luchador and tell a story without doing all the freaking high spots. And it all gets down to being to selling. I agree. Four-star match. No, ba- no doubt about it. And it, it, it not necessarily because of the high spots that I know that Dave Meltzer jerks off to. It's because of selling. And selling got the job done, and Ray should be patted on the back for that. Uh, next up, we've got Harlem heat and they retain their tag titles against the nasty boys. They go about 15 and a half minutes and Meltzer writes after the previous matches, this didn't figure up to hold up, but it was a surprise, a strong change of pace. But the two teams that are usually sloppy somehow weren't and worked a very stiff match with a lot of heat, mainly due to Sherry being far more involved than usual. Sherry was so wild. It was like seeing the Sherry of old. A surprisingly good match ending when Sherry broke a cane over Nob's head and Booker T pinned him. The funniest part of the match was at one point when the nasty boys were beaten up outside the ring, Bobby Heenan talked about how it would do the heat. No good to win that way because they can't win the titles on a count out forgetting of course that the heat are already the tag champs to begin with. Mm-hmm. It appeared that neither dusty Rhodes or Tony Schiavone recognized mm-hmm. Heenan's lack of logic, but finally it appeared somebody from the back monitoring gave them the word that it was heat who are champions, uh, three and a half stars. So Meltzer yeah. goes out of his way to point out the Bobby situation. Um, yeah. was this Bobby under the influence? Was this Bobby no. phoning it in? Okay. Now, so, I don't Bob- know if it's Bobby phoning it in or Bobby just getting, he wasn't under the influence he just uh, that I remember just got mixed up. No big deal. And no, well, yeah, no big deal. And, and not only that. I always thought that if you're, if you're, uh, if your broadcast partner says something that's incorrect or says something, that's a blatant mistake like this, if you go on to correct him, it then you make out. more of a big, yeah. yeah, you make more of a big deal out of it than you should. Yeah. Now he makes a mistake. So what does Meltzer do? He blames me and dusty for it. That's fine. I get it. Uh, but, uh, he's right about that, but Hey, this match had great crowd reaction. Sherry was tremendous in this match, tremendous heat, uh, and great storyline with Sherry getting involved in it. I, I love the match. Really a good match, uh, and uh, much, much better than when you see them come out that you think they were going to have. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and I think these two teams get a lot of bad um, publicity for themselves because to sure me, the Nasty Boys and the Harlem Heat are underrated, and I know they're not going to go out and have five-star matches every week, but they had identifiable characters that were larger than life, um, and, and they put on a good show. Sherry really complimented Harlem Heat in a big way, I thought. It gave them a little something extra. Uh, overall, though, I, I really enjoyed this match, and I like that it leads towards Harlem Heat getting a win over the Nasty Boys, who had always been title players uh, and for the tag titles. And now the next month, of course, we know they're going to take on the outsiders. I thought it did a fine job of setting up what was coming next. And it really did go a long way to me in showcasing Booker T Booker T around this time to me started to really stand out as a performer who had a huge upside. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, no question. I think we all know what Booker became on in a singles competition. You know, and uh, Stevie's my buddy. Oh, by the way, I did talk to Stevie, by the way. I oh, talked how'd to that him go? Week. That was tremendous. I had him on my uh, radio show in Atlanta uh, uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, and uh, his uh, we talked a little bit about his uh, his podcast, but we talked a lot about his radio show, uh, Straight Shooting with Stevie Ray, that he, he said on the air that I was the one that came up with that line, Straight Shooting with Stevie Ray. Uh, and, of course, I needed to talk to him, you know, because of what's been going on in Houston. Uh, it was great. It was great reconnecting with him, man. It, Stevie's a good guy. Really, so, really a good guy. So, so let me just clear this up. Since he I, credits you with straight shooting and he's making a run at that. Yeah. Did you get permission or do we assume it's okay for us to proceed with suckers got the no as a t-shirt? <laughs> yeah. I did not get permission from uh, about that. Uh, but he said, he says that now suckers needs to know. Oh, well, we're good. We're good. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's go with suckers got to go. And we'll put it next to Tommy Young. That's, that's exactly what we're rule. doing now, man. ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. <laughs> it's not up uh, yet, kids, but within the next 10 days, suckers got to know is going to be on the store. Uh, maybe my two new favorite shirts. And I know Tommy Young is the big seller. It, more people than, than any other shirt are gravitating to this Tommy Young shirt so far. Right, Tony? Yeah, that's uh, that's made the mark, man. If, so, if, give me a give me a Tommy Young. Go ahead, Tommy Young. <laughs> so, if you're not in the loop here, we've got a black, never gets old. <laughs> a black shirt with a be- with a beautiful color here, very bright and colorful. Tommy Young, four exclamation marks, and the Barbarian's face paint. Don't tell him what we're doing here. Tommy Young, you come over here. You buy t-shirt. Uh, and my two new favorite shirts, though, by far are yeah. two check boxes easy way hard way you pick that's so awesome uh, yeah but maybe the shirt that's going to be sweeping the nation low-key big hog now i made fun of this the first time we said it on the show but now that it's a shirt and i see the design it's a black shirt with red old school lettering and right in the middle is an outline of a pig you can convince people that this is a barbecue place Right. And this right. shirt will wear in public like nobody's business. But if somebody knows, they know. Low key big hog. Get you some of that. The pod father, Tony and Tom, what a slap dick. Hypothetically, damn, I'm good. My wife picked this out. Bill's glass bottom boat ride. Flare hit it first. Parker's jump rope academy. Lowest rules. Klein dick. Hot tag. Pasta steel rules. I'm a Tom Zink guy. Can you believe all of this is there for you? And when you pick oh. up a shirt, what happens, Tony? I stand on my head and part the Star Spangled Banner. On the telephone with you. Oh, and- on the telephone. Oh, yes, I call him. I, I, I call him. Uh, I had some great conversations this week, Conrad. Uh, I, I called uh, Bill from Suffolk, Virginia. And Bill said, <laughs> great story. Bill said, uh, I, I can't believe you're calling. My father was such a big wrestling fan. He took me to wrestling. And he is here with me at my house it's his birthday do you mind talking to him and i said i'll be glad to put him on so after a few seconds of the phone flopping around this guy went on he went hello i went bill he bill jr and bill senior he said yes i said happy birthday it's tony shivani there was a pause and here's what he said bullshit (laughs) 
<laughs> I, said, I said, no, it's Tony. It really is Tony Shawnee. And again, he pauses it. Bullshit. My son sets you up to this. My son's a big time river. I said, no, no. And I finally convinced him it was me. So I have a lot of fun talking to fans. Really do. Really enjoy connecting. Obviously, they stroke the ego and they say good things about me. And you always enjoy that. But I, the connection that I have with these fans, Conrad, is legit in that, as you know, I was a big wrestling fan. They are big wrestling fans, so there's a connection there that we have. We all love the business. So uh, join us, uh, and I will call you. Now that baseball season is over, I'm making a lot more calls. I got a little bit behind, uh, but now I get, I get more chance, and I'll, I'll get caught up very soon. And I do. And I do. A lot of the people say, you know, I'm helping out the wedding, and that means a lot to me. Absolutely. That they would think enough, think enough to me to put down a few dollars to help the wedding. Now they'll just put down a few more dollars to help get rid of my wife. It will, it will be fine. Well, we're going to have to sell a lot more t-shirts. We may have to get that. <laughs> Don't hate the player, hate the mayor shirt going. Yeah, well, we we got to, we got to get that suckers got to know. Um, yeah. and I don't know about you, but I'd really like for us to find a way to spell your choking sound. Like <laughs> how could we put your choking sound on a t-shirt? Okay. Could you recreate that noise if you had to right yeah. now? Well, I think it was like, which kind of sounds like low-key big hog. Uh. <laughs> you know what's so funny is one of the uh, one of the listeners on Twitter actually tweeted me and said, "All I could think about when you were when Tony was choking was this scene, and it was the deliverance scene, squeal like a pig." And I was like, "Man, that never even crossed my mind." But I was behind him that whole time. You know, rescuing the world's favorite wrestling announcer, and I'm really glad that you kicked out because, yeah, that would have been a great call to Lois, wouldn't it? Lois, come to hunts with the Conradus. Why you got to pick up a body? She would. That'd have been the final rib, man. It was. It was well past afternoon time. She would have had to wait until she sobered up the next day. Oh yes, yeah. yeah, she but, would have had to get Uber, Uber or something. You know, that's come funny. As somebody on Twitter said, "Would Lois have been your first call?" I'm like, "No, Eric Bischoff." And they're like, like, why would you call Eric Bischoff? I'm like, well, I mean, I got to keep the podcast going. You know what I mean? So finish the show. He's in an unhappy marriage. I'm in an unhappy marriage. I'm now a podcast widower. I'm going to throw a lifeline out there. You know, see what he thinks. What happened when Tony died? Eric took his place, right? (laughs) What happened? That's our next podcast. What happened when Tony died? Wouldn't that be great? I think that would be awesome. We could have Mean Gene do the eulogy. I was, I was, I was trying to get Mean Gene lined up, and then I remembered I didn't have his number. But somebody on Twitter smarted me up. It's nine zero nine ninety nine hundred. Okay, I got his number. If we want to get Mean Gene, no, no, I'm just kidding. I, yeah, okay. <laughs> I love that's a real anyway. thing. Yeah, when I die, if you could get Mean Gene there, that would be great. <laughs> so it's uh. It's uh, ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. Help fund this wedding. The countdown is on. I can't wait. And it's, uh, you know, it's tough. It's tough. You know, I feel like, um, you know, as all the kids get married, this is kind of the story of the podcast for everybody as a sidebar. Yeah. We got to pay for all the weddings. And then, you know, when somebody passes away, when Tony passes away. So really, this is four weddings and a funeral, the podcast version. (laughs) That's what it is. I love it. (laughs) Looking for some great music to start your week off? Tripnotics. T-R-Y-P-N-O-T-Y-X. 
Featuring five-time Grammy Award winner and groundbreaking bass player Victor Wooten is the number one album on the jazz charts today. Tripnotics is available on iTunes right now. Named one of the top ten bass players of all time in Rolling Stone magazine, along with the amazing saxophone player Bob Francisini and drumming legend Dennis Chambers. Tripnotics is funky, fun, groovy, jazzy, hot, innovative, creative new music. Take a chance and listen to some new music today. Tripnotics, available on iTunes now. Next up, match number seven on the show. We've got the giant and he's going to take on Randy Savage. Now let's remind everybody we are one month out from Halloween havoc and we've already announced the main event for Halloween havoc will be Savage and Hogan. And it it is that way because Slim Jim sponsoring the thing. Oh yeah. Okay. So Slim Jim, so Slim Jim sponsoring the thing. They're going to have giant Slim Jim, like a monster truck there. They're going to wrap the ring posts like their Slim Jim packaging. They've got the Slim Jim logo on the pay-per-view logo, and their spokesman is in the main event against the hottest act in wrestling, the heel Hulk Hogan with the NWO for the world title. So there's a lot of reasons here that Randy Savage needs a big win on his way to wrestling Hulk Hogan at the next pay-per-view, right? Oh, I guess in, in uh, there's one line of thinking for that. Okay. But he's Randy, he's Randy Savage, right? Well, in my head, if you're, if you're building towards a title match, you normally have a winning streak on your way to a title match. If you're going to be main eventing a pay-per-view, maybe you don't get fucking destroyed the the month before, but that's not what happens. The giant gets the win here. Seven minutes, 47 seconds. Meltzer would say the match had a lot of heat and was well put together and decently worse considering who was involved. The finish was lame. Savage had body slammed giant and given him the elbow off the top. At this point, Hogan comes out. Savage chases him to the back where he was ambushed by chair shots by Nash and Hogan and then thrown into the ring and pinned referee. Nick Patrick missed all of this arguing with the giant star and a half. Yeah. Well, Nick Patrick missed this because he was turning heel. Correct. So I can understand that. Absolutely. Correct. When he picked the giant up and slammed him. It should have been the big elbow finish one, two, three, and then right. they could have got the heat on him then. Correct. That, and, and that's, that's of course being Monday morning quarterback, but I can understand that, that, that day, the, the finish was lame. It really was. Well, the, maybe the lamest thing on the show, and that's really saying something because there is some, like this whole savage burial thing just as a head scratcher for me. But next up is what you talked about earlier. And there's Mike today doing an interview in the back with Lex Luger, Arn Anderson, and the nature boy, Ric Flair. Of course, the ladies are there too. You've got a uh, woman and Elizabeth and Flair Meltzer. Who's never critical of Flair ever writes. The highlight was Flair who must be on remote control these days calling mm-hmm. today, Gene. And he starts right. the promo and he says, do you hear that Gene? It's the ambulance coming down the highway for the NWO. And he's just in his normal shtick. But he doesn't even recognize that Mean Gene's not there. And you might ask, why is Mean Gene not there? Gene is supposedly leaving the company. His contract expired midweek. 
So he was there for the countdown portion and the pre-taped section, but he's not at the pay-per-view because he's allegedly no longer with the company. He even told, uh, you know, goodbye to a lot of the office staff on Thursday morning. And a memo is sent out saying that Oakland is no longer with the company. Uh, according to the rumor and innuendo in the observer, Oakland's base contract and his cut of the 900 line, which was largely, you know, something that was developed and promoted and pushed in a big way for him was he was making like over $400,000 a year and wanted a raise WCW didn't think he was worth that. So Oakland starts to feel things out with Vince McMahon and he's trying to create a little bit of a bidding war for himself. Allegedly Bischoff ain't having it and just says, we'll just go. And he's out of there. Uh, as we know, though, that didn't last long because Mean Gene was back in the company in short order. Do you remember this moment where it felt like Gene was out? And what details can you fill in the blanks for us here? Uh, the only details I can fill in the blank was I thought Gene was done. Uh, I, look, Gene and I all often got along. We we did have some headbutting moments, slightly. And that's because Gene had, Gene had become right, I guess, I don't know if it was right before this or it was, certainly wasn't after this, but Gene had been very difficult to work with at times uh, because he was very unhappy about what was going on. Uh, and I guess because he wanted a raise at that time and he didn't get it or wasn't going to get it. And so he had become, become very difficult to work with. And I remember thinking that, well, if he's going to leave, let him leave. Uh, and so I thought he was gone and was kind of surprised when he came back. Well, th there's rumor, of course, at this time, everybody is suspicious of everything because of this NWO angle. There was a rumor that this memo was sent out simply to swerve everybody so they yeah. could reintroduce Gene as the NWO announcer because he kind of had that WWF persona that everybody kind of saw him, even though he's here. They still saw him as more of the New York guy. Of course, we yeah. know that was not the case. And, and me and Gene wound up, uh, staying put. Did you ever have any interest in participating in the 900 line? Because it feels like at some point, everybody was on the 900 line. And I've always been curious because we fans here that me and Gene got a big cut of that. What did everybody else get? Nothing, not a cent. And that's why I didn't have time for it. Uh, because I was told, uh, I was told that I was going to get some money from it, but never saw that money. Uh, and so I, I didn't, I had no time for it at all. I thought it was a, a waste of my time. I, have you heard numbers? How much money did it make for the company? Well, I heard it was it, doing pretty well. I mean, at times yeah. I, I heard numbers north of 600,000 and other times I heard, you know, scratching a million and the idea you, that you're talking about dollars or calls or minutes or what? Uh, gross revenue for the company. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, good. Because, well, you know, what, what is, what's that say when you're saying you didn't get anything? Did Mark Madden never get paid in your opinion? I mean, did you have conversations with other guys about why they're doing this? If nobody's making money, but mean Gene, uh, no, I did not. Not at all. Well, just, uh, you, you did something, uh, because, uh, you, it was just part of the company, but I, I didn't have time for it. I used to have a, didn't I used to have a segment on the 900 number? Why are you asking me motherfucker? You were there. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. And I remember years and years we're talking about when it first started, 
I had a segment, and then I was told I would get some money from it. And then Steve Chamberlain of Turner Home Entertainment said, no, you're not getting paid. Sorry. And that's about it. And so I don't know. All right. Let's get to the o- interview. Oakland, Oakland got paid $400,000 a year. Yeah. 420 is what Meltzer reported. Wow. And I, I heard at times it was well over half a million with yeah, well, that's, hotline that's, stuff. That's a lot more than all of us were making. All of us. Me, Tanae, uh, uh, he and I can't speak for, but yeah, you should, absolutely. You should have had that side hustle, baby. <laughs> I should have. I should have. I should have had a nine hundred number uh, cash in or something. Your nine hundred number now would be a little different. I feel like it would have you know Klondike Bill moments, run ins right, with Tom Zink right. and Medusa. I mean, lots of stuff different well, these days. This is this is our nine hundred number uh, of twenty seventeen. Right. We've we've uh, morphed into uh, the technology of the day. Hey, what, what do you say to the criticism that we do too much, um, childish humor on this show that we talk about, um, sexual orientation or race or women or whatever too much. Do I, do we talk about race and sexual orientation? I mean, I know I, we talk, I think, talk about women a lot. I think people are, uh, so I've, I've seen some criticism that people think we're making fun of Tommy young when I do the barbarian voice, right? Which I, right. I couldn't feel like is taken out of context anymore. Right. We told a yeah. story where one wrestler tried to rib another with a statement and we mocked the statement. We never said anything ridiculous happened. And in fact, we went out of our way to say it didn't happen, but yeah, you know, people right. will say whatever. So, uh, are you, are you pleased with the, the way we're going with the show these days? I'm, I'm thrilled with it. I, I think we have uh, a great following. I think anybody that uh, takes our juvenile humor out of context has a problem themselves, and they need some psychiatric help. Juvenile is is definitely the word I would use to describe. Yeah, I like juvenile humor. Guys like juvenile humor. They do. I mean, clearly I've been around around sports teams all my life. They like juvenile humor. You ought to listen to the juvenile humor that we have amongst the members of the Georgia Bulldog Radio Network. Well, just state clearly for the record again, the number one t-shirt seller right now for us is Tommy Young. (laughs) I can't say it like you can do Tommy Young. Uh, (laughs) uh, So let's talk about this silly interview. You know, you got Mike Tanae and the baby faces and what's kind of weird here to me. And this makes no fucking sense is flair says, cause Tanae's asking who's the fourth man since sting has, has, has turned. And that's the other thing I found interesting through this show. Dusty Rhodes says it at the top of the show. Mike today says it here. The horsemen are saying it. Everyone's using the phrase turn for sting. So he has turned and they're not saying heel, but they're saying the phrase turn. And that felt like a, an out of place word. If you get outside of the wrestling bubble, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I I agree. It was, uh, it was, a it was a very awkward thing. I, I, I think. I don't think it was well produced. Well, this, uh, this interview, the reason it's so interesting is today's asking who the fourth man is. And flair says, uh, cause of course the question is, and again, remember we're in horseman country. We've seen, uh, Randy Savage. We've seen Chris Benoit and we've seen, well, we didn't see him on camera, but Steve Mongo McMichael is there. So the, all the four horsemen are there. Randy Savage was just beat up. So you could say, okay, well he was left laying, but still 
there's supposedly 40 other WCW wrestlers in the back who want rid of the NWO, but instead of getting one of those guys in there, Flair just says, with or without Sting, we're going on without him. We don't need a fourth member. The horsemen are going to step aside, which just yeah. makes no sense to me in, in kayfabe. And then, uh, somewhere in the show here, it was explained that sting had not had an opportunity to speak with any of the guys because he was in Japan Yeah, and because he was in Japan, he couldn't talk to any of them or meet up with any of them or explain that that wasn't him. And he wasn't aware of what was even really going on and they needed to believe him. Well, somewhere here, sting just kind of freestyles and says that it wasn't him. He was on a plane from LA to Atlanta or something. Um, which implies, Hey, I've been back in the States for a while now and haven't reached out to my supposed best friend, Lex Luger and told him that wasn't me that beat the shit out of you six days ago. Some of this just doesn't make any sense to me. Your takeaway from this. Well, my takeaway from this number one is if this is the horseman, right? Right. If this is the, why, where's Chris Benoit? Right. Or that's number one. Yeah. Right. I mean, if, if sting was supposed to be on this team, and he can't now, or he's not going to be on this team. They don't want him on the team. Benoit, a member of the Horsemen, should have been there. To me, that's logic. I don't. I I didn't get this, and I thought the fact that it ended up being three guys uh, was to me just completely uh, uh, shit on the whole event. Three guys. It was like, well, they're going to get beat up now. It's only three of them. Yeah. That what didn't can make, they do? It didn't make any sense to me that you would not. No. And, and I could see not involving Benoit who just wrestled. I could see not involving no. Randy Savage who had just been left laying. No, but, I can't. I can't. Randy Savage. Yes. Benoit. No, it was earlier. Mongo. Where's Mongo. He's not even on the show. <laughs> you gotta put, I mean, I know what he's doing, but he should be out there wrestling. Yeah. Well, I, and I agree with that. And to me, the whole sting thing didn't work because if sting sting should have gotten involved at the beginning of the show. Right. And doing, I mean, this and is doing a, big pro- a deal. He could have done right. a promo from the very beginning right. of the show and said, it wasn't right. me. And I'm going to prove to you. It wasn't me. Right. But right. It, and so they just had him do kind of a run in on an interview to me. That just was kind of shitty. So the whole setup, this whole setup interview to me, I know what they were doing, trying to, you know, this fake sting and whatever, but the way they, the execution of it was pretty lame. So let's talk about, you know, the other thing that kind of is different about this war games. Um, the horsemen have, the war games was essentially invented for the horsemen. So this is their match and, and they're the experts and, and which horseman starts every war games forever and ever. Amen. Arn Anderson does. Um, and he does here too. But what's yep. different about this. And I didn't even remember this until I watched it back is normally the teams come out together and they're standing around the cage. And they're trying to build the anticipation of these guys being allowed in the cage by just having them ringside. But instead they're introducing them from the back one by one. And and as a fan looking back, and I didn't recognize this at the time, they're clearly doing this because they don't want you to have plenty of time to lay eyes on the fake sting and to have it be revealed that sting really is with them. So there's no question as to whose side is he on or whatever. Um, The match goes 18 minutes and 15 seconds. Meltzer says it had super heat, but it was booked so much for ego that it left everyone on a flat note. Really? There was nothing particularly good about the match, except that the feud is so over and the horsemen were so over that it all had great heat. They didn't bring the teams out together because they wanted the element of surprise for the final two men in. And they also didn't want the fake sting at ringside 
for that long. So the crowd wouldn't chant fake sting at him. Hall started against Anderson for five minutes, which was pretty uneventful. Magically, the heels win the coin flip. I, I, I don't know how they have such good luck. Meltzer joked in the observer that, uh, the horseman needed JJ Dillon, who's the world champion coin flipper because he's like 55 and oh, he's never actually lost the coin right. flip. Uh, Luger comes in, uh, and, and then Hogan comes down and the place goes nuts, but they're wanting flair. And then flair comes in and the, and the roof comes off and he right. low blows everybody. And then the fake sting comes out and the place thinks this is the real sting. And all of a sudden they realize, okay, it's not really the real sting, but Jeff farmer is doing to the best of his ability, all the stings, iconic moves, the way he would kick, you know, the way he would punch and chop, uh, the stinger splash, all that. And now the fourth guy comes out for the good guys and it's the real sting and the real sting takes over and gives everybody in sight, uh, all the business, including stinger splashes. And then starts to walk out and says something like, is that good enough for you now? And then does the old, uh, fist up the keister motion and Hogan leg drops the shit out of Luger and fake sting puts him in the scorpion. And there's your finish star and three quarters. The crowd came to see the horseman ride and they didn't. And sting walked out on WCW because they didn't believe him. Uh, what'd you think of the match? Watching it back uh, 21 had great later. heat, had great heat. Like, like he said, uh, uh, and then again, you know, I, I go back to this thing we talked about so many times, Conrad, uh, should you leave a pay-per-view, leave, leave them happy? Or in this case, are we doing the pay-per-view ending up the pay-per-view to further the NWO story and make them, uh, more heels? Uh, you know, once the macho man came out, uh, and got involved in that, and they spray painted him. Uh, I was surprised the horseman didn't try to come back in. I mean, they kind of took a powder and they were gone. Right. Yeah. And that was it. Then the macho man came in and Liz came in and they spray painted her and all of that, which I know they're building to the next pay-per-view Halloween havoc. I understand that. But if you look at this logically, the horseman should have come back and tried to help out the macho man, Randy Savage. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, things that weren't logical about this. I can understand them wanting the uh, NWO to go over if they're making them these super heels, but maybe North Carolina is the wrong place to do it in the midst of horseman territory. It is kind of a weird finish here because you see Logger, uh, Logger, Luger crawling to the back and he's trying to find Sting because they're, they're supposedly best friends. Flair and Anderson are left to get beat up by Hogan Hall and Nash. Savage tries to make the save, but then the horsemen do their disappearing act and they just destroy Randy Savage. I mean, way over the top, just choke slams, leg drops, every sort of finish there is. Elizabeth begs them to stop, which in storyline makes no sense because she was fresh off of a feud with Flair in her corner or Flair, you know, she's in Flair's corner and they weren't supposedly getting along, but here, I guess she really cares about Randy. So they spray paint her and then choke slam him again after they've spray painted him. And then allegedly when they chase you guys away, the announcers away, the NWO does, um, this was not planned. Is that the way you remember it? Right. It wasn't planned at all. I didn't, I didn't know that was coming. So I guess somebody gives them word. Hey, we've ended the show early. So go right. fill some time. 
And so they come take over the set and they weren't necessarily, um, as destructive as they had been before, because on the way to this pay-per-view, they destroyed the set and did it without permission and cost a bunch of money. Now they've replaced all the shit. They at least didn't break anything here. Uh, but I, I was fascinated to hear that you, the announcers, had no idea they were coming, and you just had to react to it. Yeah, well, we did that a lot. We uh, again, we sometimes we didn't knew, know what was coming. I personally was thrilled to death because now I was gone and I could get out of the out of the building early. Uh, but we didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, and again, it was one of those mistimed things to where, in the in the scheme of things, it's probably good to have them do something since it was their night than coming to us and having us jaw about it. Um, it's interesting to me that we leave him laying, you know, we're just destroying him twice on the same show and we're doing this to build interest for Halloween havoc. And I guess what's even more intriguing is the next night on nitro Savage is there. He's not bandaged. He doesn't have a bruise. He's not selling anything. He's just fine. And they don't address the Elizabeth thing at all. Right. So it wasn't like they were going to start moving in that direction. Meltzer blamed every bit of that on Hulk Hogan. And he says that Hulk Hogan has no thought for long-term planning or booking like that. And instead just shows up and says, here's what I want to do. And to appease him, Bischoff would just give in. Do yeah. you believe that's accurate? Because this in storyline has a lot of holes in it here. Well, yeah, I, I, I think that there was a lot of that that went on. But I just think it's Meltzer blaming Hogan for everything. It is. It's it's the easy uh, it's the easy blame for him. Doesn't like him. Doesn't appreciate him. Let's blame Hogan for it. That was his mo. And he can't say that it was not because it's there's too much out there that proves that I'm right on that. Well, let's. Um, I want to touch two more notes, but first, let's give a overall. Where would you rank this as a war games? Is this one of your favorites? Yeah. One of your least favorites rated on a scale of one to 10. Uh, the, okay. The uh, as my, uh, it's one of my least favorite war games again, because it ended up being three uh, war games work when it was five on five. You had 10 guys in the ring at one time. And that that was a visual. Uh, so it's one of my least favorite war games. I give it a three. As far as the pay-per-view considering everything that happened, it was a good pay-per-view thumbs up. I give it an eight. And I'm talking about the undercard matches as well, especially Benoit and Jericho. Uh, so I enjoyed it. It was furthering the NWO story. Uh, and uh, it was the way we were going. It was the direction we were going in. Well, let's talk about um, what's coming up next. Because one of the, the things that I think a lot of people remember about this is when Waltman finally showed up on TV. And it happens the next night on Nitro. He's sitting ringside. Uh, and it's almost as if he has no idea what's going on. And then later it's revealed that his new name from the NWO is six. And you announced that he had been wrestling under the name one, two, three kid in the WWF, but he had been released from his contract by that organization. Normally you guys wouldn't go to such detail, but because we're in such a litigious time here, you have to kind of cross all your T's and dot your I's, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, and so now in other words, they were, uh, we were getting more produced than ever before because <laughs> they want to make sure legally we said something correctly. Tony, before we put a bow on war games, 1996, 
uh, we should take to Twitter. We asked your opinion. Hey, do you have a question for Tony about fall brawl 96? Just reply to this tweet and tune into MLW this Monday. If you'd like to participate next week, go ahead, throw us a follow at WHW Monday. Uh, let's get to it. Cody wants to know, did sting paint fake stings face? No, he did not. That actually yeah. makes sense to me because I mean, yeah. if he's never done it before, why not? Yeah. I think makeup people uh, painted Jeff farmer's face. Chris wants to know whatever happened to Jeff farmer, the man who portrayed the fake sting. I, I have no idea what happened to Jeff farmer. I know he worked a little bit for us afterwards and before, but, uh, he just went on into wrestling job guy oblivion. Joseph wants to know at this point, was the plan always to go for sting Hogan at Starcade the following year? Yeah, I think that was the long-term plan. There was, that was no question. That was going to be the long-term plan, whether it was going to be for Starcade or not. Now I'm not so sure, but that was the long-term blow blow off or the law. I mean, Hogan was the head of the NWO and sting was our franchise, right? So right. that was always a long-term plan. Will and Ash want to know, uh, Chris Jericho is here in just his third week with the company. Did you see at that time that he had it from the very first time I met him? Really? From the very first. Oh, absolutely. He uh, had that personality, he had that knack. He could talk. He had the look from the very first time I met him. I knew he had something special. Uh, Tony wants to know what was the feeling backstage after the 15 minute promo slash segment with the NWO after the main event, were there any strong feelings on it one way or another? You mean at the end of the show? Yeah. No, no, I was gone. Uh, how awkward was it for Elizabeth and Randy to be working together during the storyline? Of course, in real life, they're divorced by this point for a few years. Were they, were they getting along? Okay. At this point? Yeah, they were getting along. Okay. And it wasn't awkward at all. I mean, it showed that as many divorced couples have, she still had feelings for him and he was getting destroyed out there. So I don't think it was awkward at all. Not at all. What would Tony call super Callow's mask slash headgear? Uh, from, uh, parts of Juarez unknown. Jack wants to know uh, how unhappy was flair here. I know he's a professional, but you can tell he's not happy. I don't know. I, Flair went through periods of happy, unhappy. You just never knew with him. Uh, I think he was, I think he was pretty hot. I don't know. I don't think he was that unhappy. You know, uh, sometimes we're unhappy with the way we're presented as Flair was at times, but damn it. At payday, we were pretty damn happy. Sure. No, I don't think there's any arguing that. Um, (laughs) Man, we've got so many questions. I feel like some of our listeners are pretty juvenile too. Uh, I love it. (laughs) All right. I'll just give you one. Jack wants to know if you'll play F Mary kill. Are you familiar with this game? Yes. You and I've played it before. All right. Tom Zink, Ray Mysterio, Tommy young. Uh, uh, well, I guess I would have to F, uh, Tom Zink, of course. Uh, Mary, uh, Ray Mysterio Jr. and kill Tommy Young. That's a shame. It is. Uh, Tommy, don't take it the wrong way, but in in a fight, I may have a better chance against you than the other guys. Uh, Josh says at the end there was a tease of a feud between Dusty and Hogan, 
but Hogan yelled at Dusty and called him a daydream believer. Yeah. Um, any sort of memories of that? Yeah, that's that's just Hogan freestyling. There's not going to be any feud there. Well, the the reason I ask is there's talk in the Observer around this time that oh boy. the role that DiBiase played for the NWO, Dusty was trying to talk himself into that spot for WCW. Do you recall that really? being the case? No, I do not. Okay. Um, how silly did you guys feel having to pretend the NWO sting was the real sting when it was clear to everyone it wasn't? Yeah, felt really stupid. Really stupid. Will wants to know if Scott Norton's loss had any sort of effect on WCW's relationship with New Japan. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, why, th- would it? why would it? I don't know. I don't know. Dan wants to know uh, who on this card had a low key big hog. <laughs> I guess it would have been Ice Train, right? I don't know. I don't know. And it, it usually. It found it, it found its way to some places. Many of us only dreamed of. I don't think that many people dreamed of it. Um, <laughs> wait a minute says Jeff Jarrett came in the WCW around this time. Were there any backstage rumors about him coming in? No. What we mean backstage rumors about him coming in. I don't know. <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, th- there's a lot of, um, discussion about him being the son of Jerry Jarrett and so many guys earlier in their career working for his dad. And so it feels like he comes in maybe at a disadvantage as far as just getting along with all the coworkers and such. Yeah. I don't know. God, that's, that's so much intertwined politic bullshit that there's probably more rumor and innuendo that there is truth to it. Um, (laughs) people are poking holes in this logic in a big way. Explain yes. to me how Randy Savage becomes the number one contender for the WCW title after losing to the giant. Uh, because slim Jim's was going to exactly. sponsor the next pay-per-view. There's lots of rumors of, uh, Steve Regal, uh, or promos rather, where he refused to align himself with WCW or the NWO. Was there ever any consideration given to him becoming an NWO member? I don't think so. No, not at all. If Sean Waltman, I don't think it would have worked. Do you? No, I don't think it was necessary. Yeah. Right. Uh, Will says when you include NWO sting, Sean Waltman would be the seventh member. Shouldn't they have named him seven? Okay. Yeah. Why, why the fuck not, man? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, I don't know. I don't (laughs) Uh, why did that tickle me so much? Uh, why didn't WCW have pay-per-views like Starcade and Fall Brawl in Greensboro when the business was so hot? Uh, maybe those buildings weren't always available when we needed them. There's so much going into booking venues. I mean, it's on the surface. You can say, oh, let's go there or let's go there. It's kind of like you think, well, yeah, let's go to the drive through at McDonald's and order up the Greensboro Coliseum but maybe it's not available. Justin wants to know, was anyone else other than Jeff farmer considered to be the fake sting? Not that I am aware of. Uh, we didn't talk about it in the show and this isn't a question here, but is this, you know, the NWO angle? Do you think that is some of Kevin Sullivan's best booking ever? I know that Bischoff gets credit for the idea, but even Bischoff says nobody books heat like Kevin Sullivan. And this had a lot of heat. Kevin Sullivan deserves a lot of credit here, right? Damn right. He does. Kevin is, uh, 
you know, Kevin was always kind of like, I don't, I saying that Kevin was in Dusty's shadow as a booker, may be the wrong thing to say, but he always kind of came after Dusty in booking. Uh, and, uh, he was always there to do it. And, and Kevin did some crazy outlandish things, but he knew heat. No question about that. Um, Rajesh wants to know, do you think this was the last real war games match? Uh, I'd have to go back and, and think about it, but probably so. Uh, Mauricio wants to know, was anyone in the back aware that Conan was cursing in Spanish during his match? Probably not. I don't know. Why no, I'm, I'm sure they, I'm sure they didn't. Uh, Troy wants to know, this is showing you who our audience is. Does anyone, huh. uh, anyone on the show have a low key small hog? Yes. You're talking to him. <laughs> Button on a fur coat available now, prowrestlingtees.com forward slash WHW. Speaking of t-shirts, here's a great question. Did you ever own an NWO t-shirt? Yes, I did. Really? I, uh, I was on a, I was in a bowling league during this era and uh, Friday night bowling league is before I started doing any high school football or starting working, doing baseball or anything. And I would wear an NWO shirt to the bowling league and some guys would go, what are you doing? I said, I'm just supporting the company guys. So yeah, I did have one. Uh, what was your bowling team name? Uh, I can't remember. I really can't remember. Kevin wants to know, would Lex Luger be a household name? If it wasn't for sting, that's not a theory I've heard before, but then being paired together. Do you think it hurt Luger more than it helped? Yeah, I think so. That's something I never even really considered. That's a really good question. That is a good question. Um, when did you guys know that sting was going to be sitting out for a whole year like this? Like, obviously the plan was probably, Hey, we're going to build towards Hogan sting. And you didn't necessarily know that it was going to be Starcade. Maybe you did, but right. this is really the last time we see sting work a match, even though it's not really a match. Cause he walked out for a yeah. long time. When do you remember that becoming like the official plan or, or is that just happy accident or did they know that right off the jump? No, they didn't know that right off the jump. And I, and, and I, there was, I didn't know really when sting would come back. I didn't know how long they were going to drag it out. We just kind of went with the flow on that. So I, I, you know, I think they just drug it out as long as they thought it worked. I mean, if, if we're going to try to say that WCW had a, a long, long-term plan. I mean, I said, yeah, Hogan and, and Sting were the long-term plan, but I don't think they had a date for it. Uh, Anthony wants to know, were Benoit and Nancy together at this point? Uh, not that I, I, I stayed out of that. I don't know. I really don't know. And glad I didn't know. Yeah, that was not awesome. Uh, yeah. Riff wants to know, is there a fake Lois? No, there's not. No one could recreate that. If you were in a situation where there was going to be a fake Lois, uh, and you had to paint someone up to look like a fake Lois, who would it be? Roseanne Barr. Really? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I better, I better watch myself here. Cause if I say some, if I talk about like somebody left wing and it gets back to her, then I, then I'll, I'll have to sleep with one eye open. I think people were looking for, you know, who would you want it to be? Tom sink, Ramos. Oh, who would I want it to be? Debra. Yeah. No, I'd want it to be Medusa. There you go. I like it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Chat me up about um, J.J. Dillon. J.J. Dillon is making a big transition here. He's been very critical to Vince McMahon in the front office for a long time, and he resigned like the Thursday before this show, I think. And this resignation comes as a shock to Vince McMahon, and it's not really news to everyone because there were rumors that he had gone to Orlando at the same time WCW was down there doing Disney tapings and supposedly yeah. he had worked out a soft spot to land and he'd originally left WCW once Turner took over and he took a job with the WWF and he's working there in the front with Pat Patterson, Bruce Pritchard, all those guys. But when business took, you know, a major downturn in 93, 94, 95, he got a big salary cutback and to hear JJ's testimony, he buys a house on the idea that he's at a certain level and then almost immediately gets a salary cut to where he can no longer afford the house. And he's living right. in Connecticut, a much more expensive area. And he's got three young kids. He's in his fifties. He needs to make a move and go to a more affordable area and go to you know, a bigger money spot. And there's also rumor and innuendo out there that JJ was kind of, um, the guy who had all the information on the steroid situation in the WWF. They had been under heavy fire and lots of scrutiny. And JJ, according to the rumor and innuendo had been asked to turn his head here or there. And he didn't feel comfortable with that. So he's out of there. And trying to get a spot to land with WCW. And according to Eric Bischoff, as soon as JJ comes in, within the first week, he makes the approach to Bischoff and says, I know the details of every WWF performer's contract. I know how much they're making and when their contracts are up, if you'd like the information. So you've got kind of two tales of JJ here. There's the good guy who got a raw deal from Vince McMahon, and he's trying to do his best to take care of his family. And then you got the other side, which is, Hey, here's all the dirt on Vince McMahon. Tell me in your opinion, what's real and what's rumored innuendo about JJ Dillon's exit from the WWF and entrance into WCW. JJ called me because JJ and I had always been to JJ was the one that got me in the WWF. Uh, he called me years ago when I was working for Crockett and during the transition said, Vince McMahon wants to talk to you. I know. I told Vince, you and I were friends, is, will you talk to Vince? And I said, yes. So JJ got me in. So we started working at the WWF at the same time. Uh, JJ called me and said he was quitting Vince McMahon, and this was around that time, uh, after I had left and gone back to WCW. And he said, would you put in a good word with Eric Bischoff with me? And I said, I'd be glad to. And he said, I'm quitting Vince McMahon even without a job at WCW, because I've had enough of it. He didn't tell me anything about his salary cut. He was just telling me about the way he was treated by Vince McMahon. And he didn't really go into specifics, but he said he can be a very, very, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't even use the word ugly because he probably didn't use that word, but very unkind person. He's seen the bad side of Vince. He had had enough of it. He said, well, I'm leaving. Uh, I'll try to meet up with you guys. I guess down in Orlando was right. And he said, would you put in a good word? So I went to talk to Eric and I really talked him up to the point to where Eric said, 
this kind of sounds fishy. You are, you are really overselling JJ. I said, well, I can't oversell him enough because he was a guy that kept the organization going as far as organizational, uh, you know, when Dusty was doing all these bookings, JJ was organizing it and JJ is a, just a good organized, smart guy to have. Uh, now that's, and then Eric hired him after I put him over a lot. And then Eric met him too. Uh, so JJ left Vince, not knowing he would even have a job at WCW. Uh, as far as him telling Eric that he had all the dirt on Vince McMahon, I don't know what he told him, or I don't know if he told him that, but seeing how he was very unhappy with Vince and very ticked off at Vince, I could see him doing that. Uh, but that's business, right? Yeah, I don't I don't see it as this thing to villainize him for. I just no, know it's that business. It's right. It feels like yeah, he was a more integral part of the business than a lot of people may realize in that he's front office for Vince. He's privy to all the contract stuff. He's privy to all of the steroid stuff. He goes to WCW right in the middle of a of a real war between the two, not just on ratings, but in a court of law. It feels right. like JJ Dillon is one of those more influential, you know, quiet behind the scenes movers and shakers that maybe people don't recognize as being as influential as he was. Yeah. Well, exactly. Uh, and if I'm Eric Bischoff and I've got JJ Dillon, who was in the WWF, I'm going to pick his brain to see what he knows and how he can help me run my business. Why wouldn't you? That makes total Why sense would- to me. Absolutely. Well, it makes total sense to me that, uh, we should do another poll this week. You up for that? Okay. Tony? I'm ready. What, what, what do you got on the poll? Well, I thought we'd do some timely stuff. It looks okay. like the rumor and innuendos out there that the giant may have wrestled his last match. Of course he was the giant in WCW, but in the WWE, he's the big show. And he had one heck of a run in WCW before he was ever the big show. So poll option right. number one is the giant. What might we talk about? next week if the giant wins the poll tony uh, we, i think we're going to talk about the the giant's run in wcw and how he was such a great guy and such a guy willing to learn and such a guy willing to do anything he really appreciated and and uh liked the business uh you know I, i've done a funny bit about him and how he used to take a crap in our uh in our room but he did that out of, out of affection conrad he loved us oh i like it <laughs> so, uh, I think that's what we'll talk about his development. You know, I saw him develop in the, you know, he, he was obviously, a, 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 a visually a, an incredible specimen, but he really worked on it. Uh, and I had a lot of respect for him with that. And he could do a lot of things as a big guy. I, I just like to say too, to add to all this, that I saw the, uh, the cage match that he had with the Braun Strowman recently. Uh, and yeah, throwing him through the cage was quite a, a visual spectacle in itself, but I didn't like the fact that Braun Strowman called him an old man and your time is up type thing. I, I, I think that's the wrong thing to do to a guy who has really been a, a great performer for years in the business. Next up, another I, great performer in, in the years in the business. Uh, also recently in the news, Jeff Jarrett in WCW. Uh, Jarrett had a couple of runs here in WCW. Of course, we remember his brush with the Horseman in, in the 96-97 time frame. But then we ease on into the later years of WCW. He's a major player, right, Slap Dick? Yes, he is, Slap Nuts. He really is. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, to me, is an enigma. 
one of the real great guys. I think you would agree, right? Oh, a super guy. Love him. But then again, you hear so many things about him, and you just wonder, you know, which Jeff Jarrett is, is the real Jeff Jarrett? Uh, well, we'll find out uh, soon yeah. enough, and maybe we'll talk about him next week. Poll topic number three, uh, he's obviously been in the news a lot lately, and I feel like it's only fitting that we bring him back. The nature boy, Ric Flair, man, he has uh, he has cheated death. He is still yeah. the dirtiest player in the game. He's back up and running, and uh, what might we talk about if the nature boy himself wins the poll next week? Well, I think we're going to talk about how much he means to me as, as a friend, as a person, uh, and how much he's influenced my life. Uh, how I've tried to be much, much closer to Rick now that he has been sick. I think you have, have, have as well. Uh, and I, I think uh, we'll, we'll, I have a lot to talk about when it comes to Ric Flair. A uh, lot of great stories that many of them are out there because I did travel with him. Uh, uh, but a lot of good things to say because I know the real Ric Flair, and you do too. And the real Ric Flair is a crazy son of a bitch but he's got a big heart. Absolutely. Uh, and so I, I think the, that that's what I'll talk about, my relationship with him. And I want you to throw in your relationship with him, too, because you and he you know, started this podcast, The Woo Nation, and it turned into you know what happened when. So I know you've got some good stories as well. Well, and he's happy to hear that the podcast is going well. Podcast topic number four for next week. Uh, it's hard to believe it's been this long, but we're going to talk about Ray Trailer if he wins next week. And Ray left us on September 22nd, 2004. So we're right around the corner from him being gone for 13 years, which just it's hard to imagine. Of course, you remember him as the big boss man and you worked with him a little while in the WWF. You often tell us that that is your very favorite match that you ever called was he and Hogan right. in a steel cage in Madison Square Garden. Um, but he had a heck of a run in WCW and Jim Crockett promotions too. So what might we talk about if Ray Trailer wins the poll? I think Ray Trailer's going to go down as one of the better working big men of all time. The stuff he did was fantastic. He could move, he could jump, he could take bumps, he could sell. Uh, and, you know, before he became uh, Jim Cornette's uh, bodyguard, as Big Bubba, if you recall, years and years and years ago, he was Big Ray Trailer. And I remember watching him at WCW. Uh, when we do that Saturday morning taping, thinking this big guy can do some stuff, man. He's really good. So I think he was a very, I think it was a very, very, uh, at, at first, raw talent that became one of the better big men. Unfortunately, he had to change so many gimmicks throughout his career. But I think we remember him as big boss man more than anything else. Well, we'll touch on Guardian Angel and everything in between, too, yeah, that week right. next week. So let's recap. Poll topic number one is the Giant. Number two is Jeff Jarrett. Number three is Ric Flair. And number four is Ray Trailer. Go vote right now. The poll is up on Twitter. It's at WHW Monday on Twitter. He is at Tony Schiavone 24. I Yuck. am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. And we are out of time, Conrad Thompson. But before we go, it's time for another match here on WHW Monday. It's the Juvenile Heavyweight Championship of the World as Conrad Thompson will take on Tom Zink. Special referee Tommy Young working the outside is the Barbarian. And also ready to do a couple of run-ins, Medusa, Tori Wilson, and Lois Shibati. If we can sober her up, 
and get her out of the house. But we're out of time. See you next week on What Happened When Monday on the MLW Radio Network.